0: This is Pete Moore, wanted to officially announce the release of Time to Win Again, 52 takeaways from team sports to ensure your business success. I wrote this book over the last year. I think you're going to love it. Good to Great meets Where's Waldo. Pick them up for your team. Time to win in 2022. Happy to come to your club, your studio, your company, and talk about ways we can optimize business and win going forward. Go Halo. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC, I have the pleasure, coming in from Tampa, natural pro bodybuilder, powerlifter, and a man who is the Massad of nutritional sciences, <laughs> Dr. Lane Norton, good to have you on the show, buddy.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I-, I appreciate it. Very honored. Awesome. So, you know, you've
0: kind of dedicated your entire life to basically calling bullshit on a lot of different modalities uh science food what is in your body so you want to give our listeners who don't know you just a little bit of background on how you got to here and you know how you became an evangelist for good
1: yeah I'll try to give the quick couple minute spiel um so I describe myself as a meathead who loves science or uh a geek who lifts heavy things six of one half does the other whichever you prefer um I got into Lifting weights when I was a teenager because I wanted to stop getting bullied and I wanted to get attention from girls. Uh, Lifting weights didn't help with either of those things, but I developed a passion for for lifting weights. Um, And then when I got to college, I'd always known that I wanted to do something in the sciences. And I originally wanted to be a marine scientist, but um, the more I got into bodybuilding, the more I just was um, very taken with the human body. And so I switched my major to biochemistry uh, competed in my first bodybuilding show at age 19 was hooked. Um, And then when I was about to graduate my bachelor's, I realized, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And I don't feel like a professional. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to delay the real world for a few more years and go to grad school. And I was fortunate enough to really, I didn't put a, a I'll I'll be honest, I didn't do like this huge search, uh, I just got kind of lucky that I found an amazing advisor at a really great university. So I went to University of Illinois for my PhD, perennially in the top five for nutritional sciences in grad school, and then the guy I was with, Dr. Don Lehman, uh, his specialty was protein metabolism. So I learned a ton about protein, uh, did several research studies, published those studies, Um, And then during that time, I earned a pro card, natural bodybuilding, um, got into powerlifting. Turned out I was actually better at powerlifting than I probably was at bodybuilding. In 2014 and 15, I was the USA national champion in the 93 kilogram class. And then I actually set a world squat record, uh, 2015 IPF Worlds. Um, And that was all drug tested. And um, during that time, as I was in grad school, um, I was writing content before people knew what before content had a word. Mm-hmm. So I started writing for bodybuilding.com back in 2002. Um, did that for well over a decade. Had a video series with them. Just was doing stuff because I love doing it, but was building a following and didn't even really know what I was going to do with it. Um that was before then, there was
0: an influencer tag, right? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just,
1: <laughs> I was posting. I, probably, <laughs> I made, um, I, I want to say conservatively, 100,000 posts on various bodybuilding message boards wow. over... 10 year period. So I always say now is like, if you're, when you're, when you're paying, you know, when you pay somebody something, they can do in 30 minutes, you're not paying them for the 30 minutes, you're paying them for the 10 years. It took them to get there. Yeah. So I, um, I started a coaching company in 2005. Well, I started coaching in 2005. I didn't start a company until 2007, um, where I was just doing, you know, one-on-one online nutrition coaching, because I was getting so many inquiries from people who read my articles. Um, And I just kind of started that to get some extra pocket change during grad school. And by the time um, I left grad school, that was a a six-figure business and uh, was really in demand. And then, you know, once you get to a certain point where you're so in demand, um, you start thinking about scaling. And fortunately, I met my wife, who's right behind me. You can't see Mm -hmm. her, but uh, Holly. And she's like, you know, you really ought to train a, a team of people to, like, do some of this stuff. So we trained, uh, we trained a team of coaches. Um, we have our app, uh, as David alluded to before we started, um, that's our automated version of things. We have a subscription website, uh, and I'm also working, we're also working on a few other projects as well. So awesome. uh, we have, we have books, we, we do everything in the fitness space.
0: That's great. So, you know, go, going back to your, you know, when you're getting your, your PhD, how did nutrition get so
1: complicated? Uh, you know, I don't really think that the the big messaging doesn't need to be complicated. The the problem is, you're in an industry now where there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of voices that are not just vying for your attention, but for your dollars.
0: Right. And how
1: can somebody stand out in that? Well, if you're, you know, somebody who's evidence based and you're an actual expert who's been through the ringer of grad school, you use words like likely, maybe, possibly. <laughs> you know, um, and you sound very unsure. And typically, people who also go through that don't always have the the. They're not usually good on camera, right? They're not. They're not. Um, they're not charismatic. That that's usually a kind of competing skill sets. Mm-hmm. So I think one benefit I had was from writing content early and being on camera early. I got good at that, or as good as I can be, and um, I was able to kind of. I, I consider myself a science communicator. So I'm able to take complex topics and relate them to somebody so they feel so it feels a little bit easier to understand. But I think what happens is when people wade out into this pool of, you know, huge amounts of influencers, they kind of go, well, how can I get heard? Well, if you're doing it the right way, you know, it's going to take time (laughs) and people don't people are very impatient. And so they start just making, you know, very bold claims. Because they see that that's what gets attention, and I think that this is a big reason why there's a lot of confusion. Because you have you know extreme claims on all different spectrums, whether it's keto, carnivore, plant-based, you know intermittent fasting, you name it. Um, where somebody's sitting out here saying, "Hey, you know, there's actually validity to a lot of these approaches, but they probably work because they restrict energy intake and what? I mean, that's not sexy enough. we, we can't have that." You know, right, so right, right. Um, I think that's a big portion of it. And I think the other big portion is people don't understand that there's a hierarchy of data, right? So people, if they hear a study get cited, they they give it the same weight as any other study they hear, which is why people are so confused. Mm-hmm. And what I have to tell people is, no, there, there is weight to studies, right? So a, a great example, I just did a post about artificial sweeteners. A lot of people yeah, are very, saw that. Yeah. Very, very anti-artificial sweetener. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, did you see this study? And uh, of course it's in, you know, mice or it's in a Petri dish or whatnot. And hey, I, like my full disclosure, my PhD research was in rodents. And like, there's a lot of great things that you can do with the rodent model. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't get validated in humans, it doesn't really matter. It's a great right. as a proof of concept. But what I'll always say to people is like, what do you what do you care about? Do you care about a mechanism or do you care about the actual outcome in humans? Right. So for example, um, people say, well, look, if you put it in a Petri dish at a high dose, it does this to this specific gut bacteria. Okay, great. Well, what happens when we feed it to humans? Do we see their gut microflora change? Mm -hmm. And the answer so far really is no, we don't really see that. Uh, Another great example is people say, well, on a ketogenic diet, look, it increases your fat oxidation, which means you're going to lose more body fat okay well do you care about burning more fat or do you care about the loss of body fat which are two different things okay that's fat oxidation is a mechanism loss of body fat is a phenotype outcome so when we when we actually look at the human data what it says is that when you equate calories and protein you don't see differences in losses of body fat despite differences in fat oxidation and i i could explain mechanistically why that is but it's probably beyond the scope but the point is do you care about the actual thing the like, that you should care about or do you care about all this other little nuanced stuff? Right. And I think. People get confused with the details and they major in the minors rather than, you know, the big buckets. I mean, I always like to relate it to finances. Right. Um, What do you need to do to save money? You need to earn more than you spend. I -hmm. mean, you can break it down however way you want. You can talk about crypto and NFTs and, and interest rates and like all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, really, that is the, that's the big buckets, right? Now, there's a, a lot of different ways to get there, but that is the rule. And so I think, you know, people get confused with the nuances of things.
0: Yeah. If you take a look at the role of the, the FDA or or the lack thereof, um, have you seen a model where, um, you know, there's a regulatory body? Or is it really just going to be voices like you to say, hey, look, once you cut through this, even though there's a lot of noise like let's get back to the basics you're basically putting fuel in your body here's what the fuel is. you don't put leaded gas into your fucking car, right so like <laughs> yeah you know, there, there are reasons why you should you, you should think more fundamentally about what you're doing and and at some point you can understand that this is a very simple equation
1: I think you know the inclination is always to when, when we see these sorts of things to say, well, the government needs to step in and do x, y z and i I'm probably going to surprise a lot of people with my answer, which is I don't necessarily think that's the best move. And it's because if what is the government made up of? The government's made up of people, flawed people, just like everyone, every single one of us. So what you're saying, if you're going to have the government step in and, and decide who's giving out good information and bad information, that you actually trust them to be able to determine that more than you trust the average person. I don't necessarily trust that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not sure that that is actually going to be a good thing. And there's there can be unintended outcomes to that. For example, what if, so I'm a PhD in nutrition, but I'm not a registered dietitian. What if the government just gets frustrated and said, well, you know what? If you're not a registered dietitian, you just can't give nutrition advice. Well, what, am I supposed to go back and get my RD and do, you mm-hmm. know, six months of 40 hours a week of an internship? Because that would really suck for me. You know, so I, I think that maybe there's a middle ground there somewhere, but I, I really do think that, like, I look at what I do in terms of calling out, you know, misinformation, almost like a public service. Uh, I, you know, yes, it helps get me a following, which I can monetize, but I'm not making money off, you know, calling nonsense out directly. Um, I do that because I understand what it's like when I was 18 years old, reading the muscle magazines. And one article said this thing. And then the next magazine said that thing. And sometimes in the same magazine, it contradicted itself. So I know what it was like to be frustrated by that, that amount of diversity of information. And so, like I said, I kind of look at that like a public service.
0: Yeah. So, you know, talk a little bit about A lot of our audience are are bricks and mortar health club operators that run group exercise studios, uh, might be a personal training. Um, You know, when you take a look at the impact that fitness exercise translates into more confidence, people becoming role models, um, how do you kind of look at that and say, well, you guys are charging 19 bucks a month or 29 bucks a month. Like, Why are you giving this away when it's probably one of the three most important things in somebody's life?
1: Well, you know, I think that there's a there's probably a lot to unpack there, but I think one, as sad as it sounds, if every single person who signed up for the gym used the gym, they wouldn't be able to charge 19.99 a month because they would they would have to charge more because their gyms would be completely flooded and there would be no yeah the fire uh, space. the
0: fire guys would be there saying <laughs> like everyone right, got to stand right, in line or the velvet right.
1: rope. Exactly. So, you know, you can look at that as a bad thing of, oh, you know, these gyms charge 10 bucks or 20 bucks and people come in, they don't use their membership. Maybe, but that person probably wouldn't have signed up at all if it was, you know, 80 bucks a month or 90 bucks a month or whatever it is. So at least, at least we're getting them interested. At least we're getting them in the door. Right. And as far as like the impact it has, I mean, really, uh, you know, I'm a nutritional sciences guy. So my my first love was nutrition, but I will tell everybody, you know, people get so hung up on the nuance of nutrition, but man, you can, you can offset a lot of, a lot of junk. If you just train, like honestly um, the effect that resistance training has, you know, the effect that aerobic exercise has just moving is really incredible. I mean, it's one of the only, things we like most, even a lot of medications that improve metabolic health do so uh, through weight loss. Like they actually, like, for example, um, semaglutide, which is probably the most effective weight loss drug we have, you know, people lose weight and they they get healthier, they get metabolically healthier, but it's it's mostly because they lose weight. Whereas exercise, you don't even have to lose weight and you'll get more metabolically healthy, even without weight loss um, Mm -hmm. with doing exercise. So it really is an incredible tool. But again, I think our our society is so programmed and I'm, I always tell I always say that I, I'm very aware of the problems. I'm not really sure what the solutions are. Right. Right. Um, because people sometimes it's just a people problem. Yeah. So, you know, I can within seconds, I can access pretty much any information I want in the world. On here I can order dinner. I could have flowers delivered to my wife. I could, you know, I can, I can manage my whole day right here. But if I want to get healthy, if I want to change my, the way I look, it takes months and months and years. And so, you know, most people go, well, what, what thing is there? What, what hack, what trick, what, you know, what, where's the, where's the catch, you know, where can I do this thing that, you know, you know, it can, it can make me. And we, but we see that message, you know, consistently, you know, with, with other industries too. I mean, we absolutely see it in the financial industry, you know, that just was so much coming out. Now there's, you know, even currencies are changing so quickly now. And obviously this is not my area of expertise. So I don't want to, you know, wade into something, but there's nothing that's more appealing than the get, ric- get rich quick scheme. Sure, and people, sure. people want to believe that because if they could believe that, you know, Hey, I can work two hours a week, you know, on a laptop, on a beach and make, you know, six figures, then, you know, People believe what they want to believe, but, you know, maybe you can, but I haven't met many entrepreneurs that made, you know, a really good living sitting on a beach on a laptop.
0: Yeah. So when you take a look at, you know, there's been talk for, I've been doing this 23 years now in the industry and a lot of bricks and mortar players have always said, yeah, I'm adding a nutrition component to what I'm doing. Um, And some of them hired a certified nutritionist and, you know, they try and book appointments. Um, Do you see given, what you've built on, on your end with the, with the carbon app and with, you know, outwork nutrition as well as maybe some of the, the coaching that these clubs that I believe are the authority within their five mile radius. It says, Hey, look, let's not try and build this ourselves. Let's go and find best in class partners. Telehealth is probably 10 years accelerated from where it would, would have been pre COVID yeah. um, with adoption there. So do you see a, a, a positive convergence between we're actually going to bring this nutrition in and it's going to be part of your membership, or we're going to bring in experts. And if you eat properly and you take better care of yourself and you understand the science, you're going to make better decisions.
1: Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of letting people specialize in what they're good at. Yeah. Right. Like I, I, I know where my wheelhouse is. I, I read a book called uh, good to great by Jim Collins. And yep. one of the things that really stuck with me was the hedgehog, like knowing what you're good at, what you have a knack for, and what you can make money with and really honing in on that and trying to minimize everything else, you know. And so for me, like I, I've I've said to people in my company, what I really want to end up focusing on is, you know, my content, science communication, because that's what I think I'm good at and my writing, because I think I'm a good writer. Yep. Um, and I really want to minimize a lot of the other stuff, you know, with regards to like managing the business or, you know, like, hey, this package didn't get delivered to this place. Like Lane, what do we do? You know, like that kind of stuff. Um, But I'll take it, I'll even take it one step further. I think not just nutrition, but I think behavior management or behavior modification truly is hand in hand. And whether it's, you know, having an in-house person who, you know, is kind of a behavior specialist or behavior, cognitive behavioral therapy, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that that is also really needed and sadly, very devoid in the fitness industry. And I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, we really make people out to be X's and O's. And, and the fact is that people are messy. That's uh, one of my friends who's an entrepreneur, you know, he said, um, what I wanted was employees and what I got were people. And uh, <laughs> I have I've found that one out the hard way too. I like but I, I think, you know, when you look at it, let's go back and take a financial example. So we, we know how to lose weight, like regardless of what people say online, if you eat less calories than you than you expend, you will lose weight. So why is, why is there so many people that are obese? Because it's, it seems simple, right? Well, we, we know that if you earn more money than you spend, you will save money. And there's plenty of people who make enough money to not be broke. So why are people, why are a lot of people broke? Well, it's because it's not a, it's not a head knowledge issue. It's a behavior issue. It's trying to rewire those circuits in your brain to where when you're out, you know, with friends at a bar, you don't feel the need to, you know, not just grab a beer, but buy everybody around the shots or or, you know, like d- depending on what you're, or or when you, you know, when you've paid off one car, you just go out and get a new loan on another car. Like, you know, those are some of those things are behaviors. And, and the same goes for food, right? It's not just food is is not just what you eat. It's a part of our culture. When was the last time you went to an event that didn't have, you know, food? It it, it always has food. Um, And if you look at, like, for example, dinner plates from the 1800s, they're like this big. And now, you know, then they're, they're gradually expanding, right? And they've even shown that, like, for example, the contrast between the plate and the food you're eating can influence how much you eat. A lot of this stuff is subconscious. And I think, you know, one of the really, Big gaps we need to bridge with the obesity crisis is acknowledging that one, there is a personal responsibility component here, you know, but also there's other factors that play into this that are subconscious, genetic, you know, whatever have you. We know, for example, that obese people get a much greater reward uh, from food than somebody who's lean or not obese. Mm. So while, yes, they need to eat less than they expend, it's not as easy for them necessarily. Um, and we also know that obese people are more likely to have uh for example, trauma in their past. I think there was a study on obese women, and I think it was something like sixty out of a hundred had some form of like sexual assault in their past hmm. and and many of them actually said that they purposely became big because it made them feel safe interesting so wow. you know there's it is a calorie thing, just like you know mm-hmm. finances are a saving thing, but there's a lot with the what's going on under the hood that needs to be untangled. And I really feel that's where like behavioral therapy needs to come in. And, and we have structured like our writing to encompass a lot more of that over the last few years.
0: So some of the things that irritate me is when I'm in the airport, which I travel a lot and they've got like a, and uh, M M&M sharing pack yet. Mm-hmm. I'm traveling by myself and I'm not sharing that with anybody. I just got two times the amount of sugar, uh, loaded. And then I get like, I'm thinking I'm eating a, uh, I'm going to just get the trail mix with the, uh, you know, M&Ms and raisins and whatever else in there. And then you look at the back and it's like fucking 12 surfing sizes. Yeah. And then like take out your multiplication map for 12 <laughs> and realize yeah. like, I just down like 120 grams of sugar, which is what, that's uh, like 60 teaspoons of sugar. No, not 60, like 30 teaspoons of sugar or something crazy. Right. Um, so, and I know, I know you're, you know, you're, you're not anti, uh, sugar, but I feel like, um, is there a serving size issue? Like, has anyone put the pint of Ben and Jerry's back three other times and it's for, <laughs> for four people? Like I just not sure if that's like helpful or not.
1: So there is some government crackdown on that a little bit now. Oh, good so, to hear. W- when you're when you're getting um, like for example, it used to be like those 20-ounce Mountain Dews. Oh, I just Tokes I just references
0: today that there's 24 cubes of, of sugar in that in a podcast video we were doing. Yeah, it's right. shocking to me.
1: Right. So Sorry. They used to be able to like on the label, you could put whatever serving size you wanted, right? So they said, well, serving size is eight ounces, even though their individual servings are 12, right? And so, you know, there was 2.5 servings in a container. And now the government has kind of come out and said, well, if you're going to have something that is an individual package, it needs to be one serving. Mm -hmm. Like you need to reflect what people are actually eating. And I always tell people like, this is a big problem. People are horrible estimators of their, their food intake. Horrible. In fact, Mm -hmm. the majority of people underestimate by 30 to 50%. And um, I I always tell people, if you're, if you ever doubt me, go way out, go way out a serving of peanut butter or go way out a serving of ice cream or cereal. You, you want to see something depressing you Mm -hmm. will be depressed, trust me. And you'll realize that, Hey, when I have a serving of ice cream, it was actually more like three. Or when I have a serving of cereal, uh, it was more like four, you know, like when you fill your bowl up. So there definitely is something to that, but it's, you know, it's tough because there's a few different ways to look at this. A lot of people have kind of put the blame on the food companies, you know, you're creating these hyper palatable foods, whatnot. And the, um, the libertarian uh, entrepreneur in me says, "But they're just giving people what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're just creating a product. People want the product, so they're trying. I mean, what does every business do? How can we get people to buy more of our product and more frequently, right?" Yeah, like I think it was just- the Al-
0: there was like a, a famous uh, Alka-Seltzer uh, marketing uh, woman that said, uh, "How are we going to double sales? We'll just put two two drops of Alka-Seltzer in there in the." Uh- in the commercial and then they doubled their sales, you know? So right. I, I hear you. Yeah. And then and, you go to and Costco then, and like everything's bulk and you're like, Oh, that's great. I got a deal on it. Well, you, you haven't got a deal yeah. cause you got way more calories in your it's, shelving that you thought they it, did.
1: It's funny you say that. Cause the first time uh, my wife went into a Sam's club, I think we got like through three aisles and I'm doing the math in my head and I'm, we're, we're already in like 500 bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'm like, I'm like, if you don't want to spend more than a thousand bucks, we got to slow our roll. We don't need all this right now, you know, because that's how that is how they get you. Right. Uh, but it's it's difficult because and I, I relate this to kind of like news. Right. Like everybody loves to blame the media for a lot of the stuff out there. And I'm, I'm no big fan of mainstream media. However, what I'll tell people is they're just giving you the stuff you're clicking on. Because right. if you would watch good news, if that would be what got clicks and shares and whatnot, then they would mm-hmm. stop because they are uh, they are capitalists. They want to make money. So if you if you started watching the good stuff and you stopped watching the bad stuff, guess what? They would stop doing bad stuff because yeah. you vote with your dollars. That so, could be
0: interesting to see if, like uh, you know, for every you know, car chase. There's like some kid getting, you know, like a scoring a goal in little league or, you know, um, and like toggle between the two and let's mix it up here. Um, I mean,
1: I I've, I've been at this, you know, I'm 40 years old now. And I've, you know, at every single age group, there has been something that is going to be the apocalypse. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, you know, and I, I always tell, I think that this is a people problem that our brains head towards the negative, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so like, I, I tell people like, listen, the great thing about social, like I don't watch the news. I don't. The great thing about social media is you can curate your feed. If you start liking and sharing a bunch of bad stuff, guess what you're going to get more of, you're gonna get mm-hmm. more bad stuff. So I, you know, follow accounts that are, I follow a couple of news accounts. I follow obviously nutrition and training stuff. And then I follow stuff that makes me feel good because I don't need to be filling my brain with negativity all day.
0: Yeah, I hear you. So, um, so, so you're forty. I'm, I'm about to turn fifty. Uh, when I turned forty, I said to myself, "I'm not going to make any more mistakes," because I basically have seen every movie, right? And I know what the sequel is going to be. Uh, subsequent to that forty, you know, I've definitely invested in some companies that I shouldn't have. I took out some deals I shouldn't have. You know, and everything's a continuous improvement. You know, you've um, you've been a successful entrepreneur. It sounds like you're pretty laser focused on hey, here's what I'm good at. Here's maybe not what I need to be good at, or, you know, I don't need to learn that because it's better to optimize my strengths than it is to kind of, you know, I could get people to tuck in and fill in my, you know, weaknesses or areas of, of opportunity that I don't need to be the guy to do it. So how do you think about being an entrepreneur? Obviously, whatever your feed is, you know, you see all these companies raising ridiculous amounts of VC money. No one really knows, but that VC money is above the entrepreneur's money. So they're getting that money back before the entrepreneur ever sees a dime. And these valuations sound crazy, except they get their money first. And you're kind of sitting there hoping that this is executed well. And you take an entrepreneur and say, oh, here's $100 million. That's never done this before. You know, I'm not sure the return on investment on $100 million is a good thing to put in their, in their coffer. So how do you think about, you know, you live in Tampa, you're working there with your wife, you got a thriving business, you got an authority in what you're
1: talking about. How do you think about, how do you define success? my so my business advisor actually asked me this today. So I'll, I'll give you my really broad definition of success which is I'll be working because I want to and because I like it not because I feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my definition of success. And I I don't think we're actually that far off of, of where we're at now. I mean I, to be quite frank, I've been I mean I came from a lower middle class family. Um I got bullied growing up told told I'd be nothing. Uh, I've already done way more than I ever could have dreamed of as a kid. So for me, this is all gravy. If it, if it never gets better Mm. than this, I mean, I'm good, you know, but I I, I would love it to, and I'm obviously a very driven person and want it to, but you know, I look at everything right now. as kind of gravy.
0: Got it. It's great. Great answer. So when you think about, you know, I'm sure you, you got a hundred ideas a day, um, like, like we do and you're like, Oh, this makes a lot of sense. Let me go and hustle and, and do that. Do you, um, do you pull the reins back on yourself? The, you know, is this business advisor, Saying, like, hey, look, I'm gonna to listen to this guy. Like some some politicians, you know, not having to name them because it's obvious, you know, if they just had one voice in the room that was like their real conciliary, they'd probably be a lot more successful because there's a governor on what they do. And I think entrepreneurs are the same way. So how do you how do you kind of think about that? About, hey, it's a great idea, but you know what? I, do I need
1: to be the guy to do that? And I don't know if I need to. So yes. And actually I'm in my company, I'm probably the biggest skeptic. So mm. oh, I good. actually, that's, that's need, not normal
0: usually. Right. So I actually
1: yeah. need somebody to kind of push me a little bit. In fact, mm. my wife and I are a great team. We have a lot of conflict sometimes because we're very different. She is the ideas person. Let's do this idea. Let's execute it on it now. Like this is a great thing. And then I'm the one like poking holes in it. Like, yeah, but have you thought about this and who's going to manage that, I don't know about if we have the, we have the bandwidth for this, you know, And so it, at first it was really tough for us because it did create quite a bit of conflict. And I think like actually having a a business, a couple of business advisors really helped us a lot because they've helped us understand each other much better. um, And understand that like me being a skeptic is not me. Like, like I've said, I'm like, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying it's not something we need to execute on right now. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I've gotten better at is saying no. And I think that that's a, a huge thing. Like it's the most powerful war, word in your vocabulary. Um, and just, you know, just saying, no, nah, I'm not doing that, you know, um, or if we're going to do it, then it's going to be outsourced to somebody else,
0: right? Yeah, no, we got that. Um, I, I got that issue where, you know, I'm, I'm you're in the business of helping people, right? I'm in the business of helping people. And if you want to get a deal done and you call and say, I'm trying to accomplish X, Y, my, Z, my gut says, let me figure out a way to help you. Um, oh, sometimes yeah. you can't help everybody, you know, and you, 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 you spread yourself too thin. You know, one, one of my friends, um, back at, uh, at business school said to me, you know, like you're, you're the middle of the five most, imp- the five people you talk to the most during any week, like you're like in the middle, you know? Yeah. So if you think about, you know, you got your business advisor, you got your wife, like where do you find, you know, either the positivity or where do you find maybe somebody who's a critic? or somebody's going to challenge you? Like, how do you think about your like top
1: five? I, I actually really think that when it comes to business, I'm probably the worst critic in the company to be, to be quite okay. honest. Um, uh, when, in fact, we, we did a test that was called, um, ThinkX, think X, which I was actually pretty impressed with it. Um, and some of these tests, I kind of take them and I'm like, man, but this one I was pretty impressed with. Uh, it said that I had a high degree of skepticism, which I actually think is my scientific background. That yeah, I just, sure, sure. You know, I, I've, I've just seen so much stuff not pan out that I go, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I wonder if it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. I think it's great that, you know, my wife is so involved in the company because she's the ideas person. She is the person that's always how can we improve this? How can we make it better? How can we expand it? You know, there's that. And then our our director of operations Samantha, she's fantastic because she's kind of like Holly, but also with a little bit of me in there in terms of she is kind of thinking about some of the things that you know. Okay, well, how are we going to manage this? How are we going to do this? You know, that sort of thing. So she's a good go between. And then um, our business advisors, um, uh, our, our our main business advisor's name is Don Russell. He was a uh, A really successful investment banker back in the nineties. And now he just kind of like, I think he's part-time CEO of like, I don't know, half a dozen different companies. He just, this is his like retirement funsies sort of thing. Um, And uh, you know, so talking to him, he's just got a very, you know, he's kind of seen it all done it all. He's seen, you know, people get sued for hundreds of millions of dollars. He's, Seen the most stressful things that can happen in business. He's seen the you know the highest of highs, you know, in terms of you know billion dollar deals getting done. Um, And so, you know, just having that kind of like steady, steady hand and and guide to to just you know, especially me when I'm like kind of like having some anxiety or freaking out about something that's going on and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, here's why. It's it's you know that's really helpful for me.
0: Yeah, that's great. So one other question just on the entrepreneur side of, uh, of your thinking, um, you can help a lot of people by continuing to scale your business. You can put it into different languages. You could work, you know, 18 hours a day. Um, when I started our advisory business, they're like, hey, why don't you open up an office in, uh, in Hong Kong and one in London? Because I'm like, I want to sleep. And like, I don't yeah. really want to be on an airplane, right? So I was trying to like create the life that I wanted around the business model that I wanted to pursue, you know, having, you know, I see your, your background set up there, you know, you're in Tampa, you got warm weather, you got a nice headset. Um, You know, how do you kind of say, you know, we could do that, but like, what, what extra do I get? And the reason why I want to get your opinion on this is because we get a lot of entrepreneurs who come in and they say, Hey, I got five spin studios. I want to open up 500. I'm like, do you want to go to your kids? Literally game. Do you want to have like issues with your family? Do you want to work for a private equity firm that's going to be texting you asking like, how come you only sold 104 memberships? You know, you said you were going to sell 110, you know, how, how do you kind of think about the, the opportunity and the return and then also kind of somebody like messing with like, Hey, this is my life and I'm going to yeah. run it the way I want to. And I'm not taking in investors because I'm not ceding that to anybody.
1: Yeah. I think that that's really point. We actually had a, a venture capitalist firm offer us, um, a good amount of money for, uh, carbon. Um, it was, uh, we just, not that we would never consider that, but it was just, we didn't feel like it was the right deal for us. And we felt like, uh, we wanted to bet on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think one of the things that I've been very adamant about is I would not feel like a success if, you know, even if I helped a ton of people and, I, um, you know, made hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is. If my own kids didn't say, hey, dad was there for me, you know, uh, or, you know, my wife say like my husband was a good husband, like that would feel like a a pretty big failure to me. And I just think about, you know, the story I heard about Steve Jobs, who, you know, there's no question he changed the world, but a lot of his family wouldn't have anything to do with him. And to me, that would just, you know, no, absolutely no disrespect to Steve Jobs, because Mm -hmm. I think, in many ways, the world's better off for having had him in it. But, you know, I, I had a I had a friend or a client, actually, who was a tax attorney mm-hmm. and he uh, watched people. He did estate planning, and he's like, I've watched a lot of people die. He said, you know what? Nobody says to me. Oh, I wish I just worked 10 hours more. I, I wish I just made 100 grand more. I wish I just it's always I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Sure. I wish I would enjoyed my, you know, my experiences more. I wish I'd traveled more. I wish I'd created more memories. I wish I spent more time with my kids, you know, that sort of stuff. And so I absolutely want to be successful and leave a big impact on the world, but I don't want to do that at the expense of the people who are closest to me.
0: Yeah, that, that that's awesome. Well said. I think that's a great, you know, kind of denouement or ending of our, our discussion here, because I think people really need to realize that, hey, look, we're outside of covid Things are going to come back. There's going to be a lot of opportunities in front of you. Pick the ones that you really want to focus on that feel right. Research it um, and, and understand or fast forward to say, hey, what's my life going to look like? And do I like what that picture is? And you got plenty of entrepreneurs and, you know, everyone says, oh, private equity, this venture capital, that. But, you know, it's not you only read the, the highlight reel. You know, you don't you don't hear the other parts of guys negotiating their employment agreement or you know, shares getting squashed down or valuation tables changing and they didn't really know what it was. And So I think, you know, having you on as a successful entrepreneur, you know, balanced, giving out authentic and and accurate information is uh, is great for the halo sector. Look forward to meeting you in person uh, at some point. And, uh, you know, we're big fans of what you're doing and we appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, I enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. All right, man, I'll see you in the gym.